Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about why just because you want something doesn't mean you like it. The story of Esperanto, the world's most popular universal language, and how a gene therapy injection in one eye improved vision in both. Let's satisfy some curiosity. This is going to sound counterintuitive, but just because you want something doesn't mean you like it. It's true, and it has big implications for addiction. Until very recently, scientists and the general public assumed that if a person wanted something, it must be because they like it. But now scientists are starting to doubt the truth behind that assumption. And they're also starting to doubt another assumption. That is, that dopamine is the hormone that drives both wanting and liking. Now, this idea was first proposed as a sort of thrown-together solution to some confusing study results in the 1990s. Researcher Kent Berridge noticed that when he removed dopamine from rats' brains, they stopped looking for their favorite sugary foods. That made it seem like dopamine is what made them like sugar, but when he actually gave them sugar, the rats without dopamine still seemed to like the sugary foods. They even made the same pleasurable facial expressions they would normally. So then Barrage did the opposite. He increased the dopamine in the rats' brains. The rats ate four times as much sugar when that happened, but they didn't seem to like it any more than they had before. So something was off. Thus, Barrage developed a hypothesis. Maybe wanting and liking are two separate things that reside in different parts of the brain. And maybe dopamine doesn't have anything to do with liking. It just relates to wanting. So in another experiment, Barrage learned even more about dopamine's relationship to wanting. He attached a stick to the rat cage that delivered a minor electric shock when touched. A normal rat would learn to stay away from the stick when shocked. But by making the rat's dopamine system more sensitive, Barrage could make the rat obsessed with the stick. The rat would keep coming back again and again, despite the minor shock. It's like when you crave candy during a movie, but you can't enjoy it because you're already full from a big dinner. You get the candy anyway and you suffer through it because your body tells you that you want it. This research has super important implications for how we think about addictions to drugs, alcohol, gambling, and food. For people struggling with addiction, the dopamine system becomes linked to certain cues, like parties or spoons or syringes. And wanting never goes away, even if liking does. The goal now for addiction researchers should be to figure out if they can tweak the dopamine system to give people relief from their desires. It took a long time for scientists to accept the difference between liking and wanting, but now that it's accepted, they can hopefully be used to help people recover. The diversity of languages in the world is something to celebrate. But sometimes, don't you wish you could all just speak one universal language? In fact, People have tried creating a universal language for centuries. None of them have been universally adopted, obviously, but the one that's gotten the closest is a language called Esperanto. The story of Esperanto starts way back in 1887, in a part of Poland where residents spoke not one, not two, not three, but four different languages. 
A physician named Dr. L.L. Zamenhof felt his neighbors would get along a lot better if they all shared a common language. But he worried that defaulting to an already existing language would make non-native speakers into second-class citizens. So he set out to create a single language that would be easy to read, easy to speak, and most importantly, easy to learn. That means Esperanto has no more than 16 rules, and none of those rules has any exceptions. It's also entirely phonetic, meaning that every letter is always pronounced the same way. Dr. Zamenhof based his language on several languages in the Indo-European family, including English, German, French, and Spanish. And he named Esperanto after the word for hope, to signify the role he thought it would play in bringing the world together. Want to hear a few words? All right. Hello is saluton. Goodbye is gis la revido. And uno bieran mi petas is the all-important phrase, one beer, please. And remember, everything is always pronounced the same way, which is what makes Esperanto so easy to learn. But I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that you probably don't know anybody who speaks Esperanto. You know, unless they're a Duolingo fan. Sadly, Dr. Zamenhof's vision never came to fruition. That may be because language is more than a way to communicate. It's a way to experience another country, try new food, and learn about a new culture. And Esperanto doesn't have any of that. Still, among invented languages, it's definitely the most successful. William Shatner once starred in a science fiction movie written entirely in Esperanto. Leo Tolstoy spoke it fluently and was even named honorary president of the Esperanto Vegetarian Association. Today, practitioners of the Baha'i faith are strongly encouraged to learn it. And eight Nobel laureates are Esperantists. Maybe there's hope for Esperanto after all. Hey, Blay. What does that mean? Means maybe. Nice. Something very unexpected recently happened when scientists were testing a new gene therapy for vision improvement. The scientists found that their therapy not only works, it actually seems capable of improving vision in both eyes, even when used on only one. The gene therapy I'm talking about is intended to treat labor hereditary optic neuropathy, or LHON. It affects 1 in 30,000 people, mostly men between the ages of 20 and 30. LHON is a genetic condition that affects a particular type of nerve in your eye called a retinal ganglion cell. These cells transmit visual messages from your eyes to your brain along the optic nerve, and LHON damages these cells. It's a devastating condition that causes serious visual impairment within weeks of the first symptoms. LHON is caused by a faulty gene in the mitochondrial genome. This therapy I'm talking about involved building an engineered virus that could deliver a working version of that gene to the mitochondria. And if successful, this would literally overwrite the faulty gene and cure the condition. Pretty exciting stuff. Gene therapies like this could one day cure diseases previously thought to be incurable. Not just LHON, but many, many more. But back to this study, to find out if the therapy actually works like it should, the scientists ran a clinical trial. 37 participants with vision loss due to LHON received an injection of the experimental gene therapy in one eye and a placebo injection in the other. The scientists then tracked any changes in their vision for the next two years. The good news is that the gene therapy seems to work. 
68% of the participants had improved vision at the end of the trial. But it didn't just work in the treated eye. The majority of these participants had their vision improve in the untreated eye, too. The researchers aren't sure why this happened, but there are a couple of really interesting hypotheses. The first one deals with the plasticity of the brain. Maybe as one eye improves, the brain reorganizes to compensate for the other eye. The second hypothesis suggests the mitochondria containing the edited gene may be able to pass from one nerve cell to another. Although they haven't tested this in humans, studies in non-human primates suggest that the cells of the right and left optic nerve are actually capable of exchanging cell parts at the point where the optic nerves cross. Either way, it's pretty amazing. The human body still has some surprises up its sleeve. All right, well, let's recap the main things we learned today. Starting with the fact that just because you want something doesn't mean you like it. Kind of counterintuitive, but it's true. Those two feelings happen in different parts of your brain, and that has huge implications for treating addiction. And on a lighter note, I wonder about coffee, my coffee drinking habit. Yeah, definitely. In some writing about this, you know, people have used coffee as an example. It's like, you know how you you really love that first cup of coffee, but maybe that third or fourth cup of coffee isn't quite so enjoyable, but it's still like your body's like, no, yeah, do this, drink this. It's kind of the same thing. Caffeine check-in. How much do you drink? It's been more during the pandemic for sure, but uh, I would say two to three cups a day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm about there. But we also learned that Esperanto was invented in the late 1800s in an attempt to create a universal language. And there are thousands of people who speak it. But it hasn't quite caught on the way it was originally intended. And that's in part because language is about a lot more than just a way to communicate. There's like other cultural stuff, if I may eloquently say so. Other <laughs> cultural stuff. I believe that's the technical term, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, but this reminds me of the Curiosity podcast back in the very beginning of us doing this show when there was an episode about... Conlang, constructed languages with Erica Okrant, you know, because you got you got your Esperanto, but you also have all of those sci fi fantasy languages like Klingon and Elvish and all the ones from Game of Thrones. And there are clubs and communities that actually try to learn these languages. And it's pretty cool. There are actually a ton of Conlangs on Duolingo that you can learn. I know that two of them are Esperanto and Klingon. So if you're into that. Have at it. I have seen Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol performed in Klingon. <laughs> Love it. That's true. That's real. That's a thing. The Bible also has been translated into Klingon. There's people that are really into that. There are. Something I'm very into is the fact that researchers tested an experimental gene therapy in a single eye of people with this vision problem. And most of them ended up with improved vision in the other eye, too. Our bodies are amazing. This might be because the brain adjusted. It might be because mitochondria actually passed between nerve cells and headed over to the other eye. But whatever the reason, biology is pretty freaking fascinating. I just want to be one of those scientists who saw those results, who was like, wait, wait, wait what? No, what? My very first thought would be like, we, we did use a placebo in the other eye, right? Right, because like, that's the, 
That's oh, the, right. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, sorry. We used gene therapy in both eyes. Right. That would be a lot less interesting. But um, I'm sure that these researchers knew what they were doing. So good on them. Yeah. Today's stories were written by Kelsey Donk, Ruben Westmus, and Cameron Duke, and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Script writing was by Cody Goff and Sonia Hodgen. Today's episode was produced and edited by Cody Goff. Kapla! Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious.